What's up, guys? It's Friday, November 13th, 2020, and it's it's 9 o'clock at night on the East Coast, so anybody that's sitting here thinking like, oh my god, it's Friday the 13th on 2020, what the hell, it's gonna be the worst Friday the 13th ever! And, you know, I guess not, because here I am, here we are, and nothing uh, even remotely terrible has happened even though it was primed to, because it's Friday the 13th. My God. I, <laughs> I felt really bad about today. But, um, notwithstanding. How y'all doing? Welcome to this edition of the Fritzcast. This is probably, I say this a lot, so maybe I shouldn't, um, maybe I shouldn't allege this. But I'm not anticipating a long episode this week. And uh, part of that reason is uh, I got this thing. I, I started reading this online. Uh, but uh, next week I have a guest, a very, very special guest, mind you. Uh, because special guests are the ones that reach out to me and say that they want to come on the show. Which, to, to me, let me, I want to explain this out. If I ask somebody to come on the show and they accept, it, that's a humbling experience because they're willing to come on my program. Um, and I'm appreciative of them. I really am. And, and you've seen the slew of guests that we've had on the show before. My, my good friend, Brian Nichols of the Brian Nichols show, who's up there on the libertarian list of podcasters. Uh, great to have him on my show. Todd Hagopian, who's the libertarian in chief, having him on, on my show. Uh, just great having the libertarian presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen on my show. Just another fascinating uh, and and humbling experience, whether you like Joe or not, uh, whether you think Joe was a good candidate or not. It was very, to me, just a big humbling thing that uh, that they would come onto my show, and uh, and and even others like Bill Ottman of uh, Minds dot com. His people reached out to me. Uh, Joe's people reached out to me to get Spike Cohen on the show a while back. Um, and those are humbling experiences. But it's humbling when people reach out to you. When people reach out to me, I, because of the first words, like the first thoughts and feelings that come to my head is, <laughs> you want to come on to my show? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? And... uh I'm getting sidetracked here, but uh, I got this in the mail. I started reading the e-copy of this book, uh, but I have the hard copy right here. Trust in a Polarized Age. Next week's guest is is Kevin Vallier, who, uh, Kevin Vallier, mind you, he's an associate professor of philosophy at uh, Bowling Green State University, uh, where he directs the philosophy, politics, economics, and law programs. And he's authored uh, three monographs, four edited volumes, and over 40 peer-reviewed book chapters and journal entries. Uh, and his other titles include Liberal Politics and Public Faith, Faith uh, Beyond Separation, and Must Politics Be War? Restoring Our Trust in an open in the open society um, and next week's episode is going to focus heavily on trust and that's actually going to play a little bit into what I talk about now uh, but I'm humbled when 
people like 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 Mr. Valier here reach out when he has a, a team of people that reach out and want to come on to my show. It's um it's truly just a different dynamic from when I invite somebody on and they want to come on because I didn't I didn't do outreach for this. I didn't put my name out there for these people like I'm actively seeking a guest or whatever. They reach out to me and it's insane in my mind. Or maybe it shouldn't be because I am after all I'm the podcast elect. Did you guys not hear this? I'm the podcast elect. This is amazing. Wow, look at that. Look at that logo. Definitely didn't throw that together in Photor or um, PixArt or any of the other Photoshop albums. I didn't make it, obviously. Obviously, I didn't make it. But the office of the podcast elect. Wow. Wow. That is just... Amazing. Truly amazing. I'm humbled to be the podcast like I made this by the way because uh Ian Michael Chang I believe it was um was was poking fun at Biden. Uh now now you're going to see him at the Twitter feed. <laughs> now you're going to see the Twitter feed. Uh well, I got to scroll down further cuz I made that right after I saw this thing. So I'm the office of the podcast elect, which is an amazing new thing that I made up. Here it is. Look at this. So Ian Miles Chang uh, posted this picture. As you can see, Biden, president, our office of the president elect. This is irrigation. It's designed to give people the impression that this man has authority. He has no authority. There is no such thing as the office of the president-elect. Except there kind of is. If you go back, uh, Trump had a office of the president-elect, and I believe Obama did too. Uh, prior to that, maybe not. Uh, but it was made, I believe, as a part of the transitioning team to help the newcomers uh, transition. And I, I I had to post a, as a reply, uh, perhaps there is no office, which turns out I was wrong. There, there's, there's an office, so to speak. Uh, uh, but it's not the first time a placard has been placed on a podium. As you can see here, the office of the president-elect, New York, New York, Donald John Trump's campaign in 2016. This is, it, it's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous partisan politics. That's ridiculous. I'm going to play uh, uh, the game that matters to me. And no matter what anybody says, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to play hard on my side and not acknowledge the past, something that was easily Google, you know, something that you could easily Google and settle the score on. But no, it's, it's, this is what gets me on this whole, like, you know, they stole the election, they stole the election, the Democrats stole the election, which I talked about this last week. Uh, uh, they lost a lot of down ballot races, they lost a lot of local races, they, uh, they didn't do so hot for people who stole an election. Um, of course, conspiracy theorists are going to argue that uh, that vote-changing machines probably would only change votes for the presidential, right? Because if it changed it for all of them, then, then the jig would really be up. 
So you do it subtly. You do it for something like uh, like the presidency only. And nobody will catch on, despite the fact that everybody's seemingly caught on right now. Um, I've listened to dozens of podcasts. I've listened and read dozens. I've listened to dozens of podcasts. I've watched a documentary or two. Miles of news footage and analyst breakdown of this stuff. And at the end of the day, I just can't get behind um and I can't I can't stand when libertarians do this too getting behind this whole drummed up the election was stolen bullcrap because by the way in case you haven't noticed the Trump campaign is still shooting out emails and doing fundraising for the stop the steel defense and Trump is out there calling it a completely organic you know event that's popping up nationwide because of how much people love him the adoration that people have for him and it's just bullshit to me I'm sorry I did I'm sorry you might you might not agree with me fine that's fair but to act as though this isn't an opportunity to grift and con and make money and you know just just using your own leverage anyway considering Trump's you know hardcore base uh, to suggest that there's not money to be made here, to suggest that there's not media outlets out there on the right, on the conservative spectrum and the hard right, and even somewhat of the right of center, to suggest that there's not a market for them to be exploiting right now over this quote-unquote controversy and stolen election, to suggest that uh, it, this is just completely one-sided is foolhardy. It's foolhardy. There's lots of shameless grifting going on, if you ask me. It's it's a money-making opportunity for people, and it's the last money-making opportunity for some. Not for all. I mean, you know, the, the, these conservative outlets uh, are the ones that have been the, the ones that have been staunchly defending the MAGA crowd and and Donald Trump. Uh, this isn't the last opportunity for them to make money uh, because there's going to be four years of a Joe Biden presidency in which they can poke all the fun they want at. Um, they're still they're still going to get money for for actually standing against something for once. <laughs> they can they can make some some money off of that, but uh, to suggest that. It's impossible for that to happen, you know. And this is the, the the election fraud stuff. People have said, people have tried to stop me and say, Fritz, there's election fraud that's happened here. Um, there's no way that that it's legitimate. That it's a legitimate election, and it's a catch twenty two because you can't. Nobody can stand before anybody right now and say that there's been no fraud in an election, even though they put out a news story. Uh, I think just earlier today that said that uh, this election was the least meddled with election cleanest election in in United States history <laughs> oh, come on there's probably fraud that happens in every election it's just there's not massive fraud but isolated fraud sure a dead person or two, a handful of dead people voting, sure, maybe. Uh, but uh, like ultimately, anyway, on, on a scale like this, where 
people are alleging that a bunch of votes were just created. Oh, the mail-in ballots. A bunch, bunch of them were just forged and created and mailed in. There's certification processes that have to be done on those to verify them. And also, it just wouldn't... From John Ziegler, who hosts the Individual One podcast, a brilliant point in his latest episode that I listened to uh, earlier today, uh, just... It, it, it's you don't see fraud with votes being created. You usually see fraud with just ballots being destroyed. And for those of you out there, you're gonna say, "What I saw this video on the internet, and and I saw ballots being destroyed, and they were marked Donald J. Trump, and it was, it was people say it was people picking them up and saying, you know, I got to do what you got to do, and all that." Most of uh, those were like sample ballots. You know, people who have nothing better to do with their time than to. Make viral videos on the internet. That's all I gotta say, man. That's all I gotta say. So, uh, you know, we we talked about the election fraud stuff. Uh, in my eyes, there's nothing more to talk about it at this point because whether you like it or not, there's people kidding themselves. Thanks to these outlets and thanks to Donald Trump being a giant baby. Uh, there's there's people that are legitimately like, oh, the election's going to be overturned. It's going to be Donald Trump. And I'm like, right. No. No, it's not. It's not. They're, they're having their day in court with some stuff. I know in PA they just ruled. Uh, they made this breakthrough rule. I love watching like the Trump coverage of stuff, whether it's emails, tweets, whatever. Because these guys tweeted out, breaking news, game changer, uh, PA court rules in favor of Trump. And then you read into it about how, you know, maybe a handful of a couple hundred ballots are going to get tossed because they're, they they didn't follow the right steps for getting their ID verified in enough time or some crap. It's like, oh, whoop-de-doo, they're going to toss about a hundred or so votes. And, you know, whether or not those were fraudulent or not, it's over technicalities, not not fraudulence per se, technicalities, so it's not really that big of a victory. And then the goalposts move again. So as the goalposts move, oh, it's the mail-in balloting. All the mail-in balloting is certified. And Donald Trump said for his people said his people shouldn't use mail-in balloting. The goalposts move again, you know, so it goes from the mail-in balloting to uh to uh some other type of election fraud. Now it's the uh, hammer and scorecard, uh, which is an interesting angle because it's about how the U.S. has interfered in other nations' elections. Why, you know, yeah, we're mad people meddle in our elections, but we meddle in other people's elections. Can you believe it? Why wouldn't we meddle in our own elections? It's a good conspiracy theory angle. It is. But not when the Trump-Lincoln team has blatantly lied in their court cases when you can read the transcripts. Not when they've drummed up and, and had to move to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so the last thing they finally dig up is the super mega conspiracy theory about how there's this thing in the machines that just change votes, tallies up whatever it wants to, because you can pre-program it or whatever. There, There's need for election reform. Listen, I believe that, and I'm going to show you something in a few minutes about uh, about stances on things, but... It's just crazy. It's just crazy, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. But you've already seen clicking on this episode. The title of the episode is, Is This the Way? And part of the reason I'm asking that is because, obviously, 
this is FritzCast. It's always been associated as a libertarian-ish podcast. It's a top 30 must-listen-to libertarian podcast on Feedspot. Uh, it's got, you know, it. I've risen in the ranks quite a bit thanks to people like you tuning in, whether you're watching, whether you're listening. And I'm humbled by that, and I'm humbled by the opportunities I've had. But my episode is titled, Is This the Way? Because... I just want to give you like like a an example before I really dive into this. Uh, my daughter, my daughter who's fourteen months old, quickly approaching fifteen months old. Um, when my wife and I talked about um, our daughter, we originally were like dead against doing any kind of daycare uh, for her. Uh, because my wife worked in daycare before, knows the environments of daycares and things of that nature. And uh, we ultimately were just, you know, no, no daycare at all. We didn't really need to be looking at daycare anyway because my wife uh, does classes. I work midnights. And any coverage that needed to be taken care of, of, of watching our daughter, would was either covered by her or covered by me. And it worked out that way, um, but we were dead. We were kind of dead against doing any form of, of daycare, and then things happen. You you run with the schedule that you have, and for somebody like me, working midnight shift, that's a tough shift to to work. Really, if you've never worked nights like that, uh, you know I'm going against natural rhythms in my body to sleep at night. I've managed to jolt my body around to to accommodate for that, uh, but it's still rough to do. It's still hard to do because you're fighting against natural cycles and all that. So, in doing that, I would come home from work. I would stay awake because my wife would be in classes for a bit, and I would take care of uh, our you know our daughter, hang out for a little bit, and then I would go to bed. Uh, you know, around 11 o'clock or noon, and I'd sleep all the way up till about 5, 6 o'clock, wake up for dinner, do that stuff, uh, and then get ready and go to work. You know, such was life, getting ready and going to work at 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night or whatever. And uh, But in that cycle, you know, things take their toll, like me not getting enough sleep sometimes, sometimes only getting four or five hours of sleep, in, in one little chunk, uh, and then maybe getting a nap before going to work, uh, and then sometimes it not even be able to work out like that, and then opportunities arise. Well, hey, what what if we put her in daycare one day out of the week just to see how how she does with it? And we ended up doing that. We picked Tuesdays. Tuesdays was a day that my wife was in class all day, all day from you know about nine o'clock in the morning. All the way to five o'clock at, at in the evening, and uh, trying to balance that working a midnight shift is like I would come home, stay awake all the way up until five, and then immediately go to sleep from five until whenever I wake up and get ready for work. That's it's not gonna work out. So we started taking her on Tuesdays, and luckily my wife's aunt works uh, at at the daycare and is directly responsible for our daughter there and after doing it for about you know a week or two 
uh, her aunt tells us that, mind you, you get daily reports and we talk and communicate with the, the school anyway. Uh, but with her aunt being our daughter's direct teacher and our direct line of supervision, we had some pretty direct uh, response from her. And turns out, you know, Emmy in, in class is a social butterfly. She's ahead of the curve of the other kids that are there. And But she has a whole new dynamic to her personality interacting with the kids. And, and it really made us go, well, maybe we were wrong about some of our notions. I mean, obviously... She still doesn't go to daycare every day, but we have expanded it to three days a week now. And the three days a week now helps my wife focus on homework, helps me get sleep, and helps us collectively get things done around the house. It builds Emmy's socialization with other children uh, throughout the week, not just being home with two struggling parents that are half walking around like zombies all the time uh but in doing that you know we've we've watched her flourish a little bit more and it it amazed me because you know we had this notion we had this hard line of absolutely not no 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 and then things changed the dynamics changed we did it and then we realized we were wrong now a bunch of people listening are like, wait, where's he going with this? I remember what he said when he started this. Uh, <laughs> look, I'm not saying libertarianism is is wrong. I'm not saying that uh, I'm not saying that anything that I've done on this show, any of my approaches have been wrong. But there might have been some things that that have been. That's why I'm asking, is this the way? When I'm saying, is this the way, I'm, I'm, is libertarian, is, is the libertarian party the way? Is libertarianism the way? Do I need to be more hardline on those things? Do I need to be less hardline on those things? Do I need to learn about compromise a little more? And I'll, t- I'll tell you, like, next week, Kevin Vallier, I believe that's going to be a great, show to watch in a great interview because as I've been reading this book and checking out more of his work it's made me rethink some things it's made me rethink a lot of things and so has this election cycle and libertarians are lying to themselves if they tell you that they 100% were absolutely sure that they were going to back Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen and not consider anything else They'd be lying if they said that to you because every libertarian that I talked to had the passing thought. Now understand the ideologies here. Remove your your hatred of of the orange man of Donald Trump, or you know, take out that that context of how much you hated Donald Trump if you're that type of person. There's a lot of libertarians, ideologically speaking, who they fear all the socialism talk, whether or not you want to. Fluff it up as democratic socialism or not. They feared socialism and they feared the democratic plans and they feared it because they watched cities being burned down by Antifa and uh, BLM. This is what they attributed to. I'm not saying BLM was out there setting buildings on fire, but you know, the ideological waves. They blamed these ideological waves. These are the notions that they saw. They were afraid of it. And they considered, 
and some of them did vote for Donald Trump simply because they did not want to placate that side of the spectrum. I heard many I heard many a libertarian say that the 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 risks were too large for them to not vote for Donald Trump. And that was the only reason that they were going to vote for Donald Trump is because they were tired of seeing cities burning to the ground, seeing an ideology that scared them being pushed and being made common. And uh, some of some of it isn't wholly unwarranted. Not when you have people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez tweeting out that uh, any Trump quote unquote sycophants or supporters should be put on a list. Kind of sounds a little McCarthy to me, but this is the rhetoric that was getting passed around, and people were getting scared. So I knew many a libertarian who committed to voting for Donald Trump simply because they just wanted to put a block on hard-left politics, fearing that Joe Biden, as the quote-unquote centrist, was only playing a game and that behind him the strings were being pulled uh, by people far more left than he. Just like how Bernie Sanders wants to be uh, his... Bernie Sanders said he's interested in being the head of the Labor Department. Bernie Sanders, a man who hasn't worked a job in his life. He's he pretty much only held elected government positions, which I don't see as a job, per se. Uh, but that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. People feared what came of hard left, just as people feared and voted against Donald Trump, voted for Joe Biden, out of fear of hard Right. That's what they did. It's two very polarized groups that see each other as the enemy. And that's why if you get a chance to check out Trust in a Polarized Age, I definitely would before next week's interview. Because this opens up my mind to different things. It's just like, you know... Ask me who I would have voted for on a local level. We're talking about... We talk about this a lot. Me and Todd, Hago, me and Todd Hagopian talk a lot about how libertarians need to run at a local level. They need to find races that can be competitive for them and like like open seats and no, no primary challengers, things of that nature. And uh, I, you know, I can tell you right now in Delaware, it's like my... In my senatorial district, all right, Anthony Del Colo lost to Spiros Montsevinos. It was uh, devastating for me and the, you know, nearly ten thousand people that voted for Anthony Del Colo. I knew many Democrats who voted for Anthony Del Colo. I knew many people who Anthony Del Colo was the only Republican they were voting for this election, and they were upset to see him defeated after only one term, working hard, but. Let's just let's just play with the idea here. If there was a libertarian who had run for that seat as well, making it a three-man race, Fritz wouldn't have supported the libertarian guy probably. 
there's a good to fair chance I would not have supported a libertarian guy because just because you have an LP next to your name or, or you're the libertarian guy doesn't mean I'm going to automatically support you. That's that if you do that, you're no different from what you're arguing about the duopoly with the Republicans and the Democrats, except maybe it's the fact that you're arguing for a third option or a third party, which I get the sentiment. I get the sentiment, but Anthony Del Colo was was my guy. He was a guy that proved to me that he cared about me as a constituent, that he wasn't going to just blindly go with what was the popular opinion was working down at the General Assembly over bills. He, he proved to me that he was going to be a guy that read the bills, that critiqued things in the bills, that offered amendments to get rid of the nasty parts of bills that he thought were out there, doing real legislative work in my eyes. You know, fighting, you know, if not fighting to, you know, what's a good libertarian talk about? If not fighting to end the income tax, at the very least he was going to fight and make sure that anything that the tax dollars were getting spent on was efficient and right and within the constitution of the state of Delaware. You know, that's all I can ask for especially living in the region that I live in in the state that I live in with how the politics works in the state that I live in I could have voted for a libertarian candidate if they came into that mix but chances are that that person wouldn't have won me over and that person wouldn't have won anyway and then I have no principled person fighting for me down at Dover Legislative Hall here in Delaware and sometimes that's what the case is. Sometimes we can talk about what's ideal for the Libertarian Party to do, but is it really going to be ideal? Is it really going to be what it needs to be? Is it really going to balance out? Now, that doesn't mean I want to discourage Libertarians from running from things. That Con on the contrary, run for things find, find offices that you want to run for And if you were the libertarian in my area Who was going to run Try to win me away from, from Anthony Del Colo Doesn't mean you're going to But yeah, I don't mind you being in the mix I don't mind a third voice being in the mix But I'm starting to see Where being a hardline Staunch Unwavering libertarian only Kind of guy won't get us very far in this fight of trying to reduce federal government, for example, or reduce the government role. If you're not on the playing field, you can't really talk. Now, libertarians did win some seats, on low on on a lower level they they did work on building things up and which is great uh, young americans for liberty yal they prove they proved that they had a way better ground game and they did exceedingly well in uh in the territories that the lp just does not succeed at and it it makes you think it makes you reconsider some things just uh just like, for example, uh, I have a new Twitter endeavor. 
that uh, that I'm working on right now which you can see right here it might not uh, it might not be coming up 100%, but uh, it's Delaware Tea Party 2.0, Delaware, at Delaware Tea on Twitter. Uh, I got uh, talking with some people about um, a, a new movement for the Republican Party. And this is reminiscent going off of the original success of the Tea Party back during Obama's presidency, uh, which... Brought in some key players and some principled candidates, and others not so principled and went out the door. It also brought forth a uh, candidate that was uh, not a witch, but a witch here in Delaware, Christine O'Donnell. Just another example of picking and choosing your battles. Christine O'Donnell ran with this Tea Party influence uh, and couldn't hang. In the general election and lost to Chris Coons, who Chris Coons, now that Joe Biden is is president-elect, Chris Coons is probably going to get tapped for a cabinet position uh, or an administrative position in Joe Biden's uh, presidency, which is going to vacate a Senate seat in Delaware that is going to probably promptly be filled by another Democrat because they never give the Republican guys a shot here. Uh, but... When Christine O'Donnell ran, she was running in a primary against Mike Castle. Mike Castle was a prominent Republican here in Delaware that was our House of Representatives representative, congressperson. And prior to that, he was Delaware governor and a couple other political positions in Delaware. Uh, but primaried by the Tea Party movement, Christine O'Donnell, who beat him narrowly uh, in a primary race that in Delaware not a lot of people show up for the primaries anyway, and the voting body was significantly smaller than the grander scale. Long story short, she, she bumps Mike Castle out, who probably, by all intents and purposes, would have successfully transitioned and won the vote to the Senate seat, and then Delaware would have had a Republican senator, a senator that probably would represent me better than Chris Coons would, definitely better than Tom Carper would, but here I sit before you having to talk about how my senators are Chris Coons and, and Tom Carper. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. But the other thing, because I've been saying it, and I'll share it now with you guys. Um, the other thing I've been sharing is that I've been talking about how I've been motivated to run for office of some of some kind. I don't have anything selected yet. I, I'm doing a lot of research. I'm trying to talk to a lot of different people uh, about this. But if we go back onto to my webnode website, the, the fritzcast.webnode.com, you know, I have my home section, my about section, um, the, the, the podcast section. I'm going to move that up just a hair there so we can see a little bit better. 
but if I go to more, there's my recommendations of podcasts, there's contact, and then there's this little campaign section. And I've been working on this. This is like experimental, you could say. Uh, but it's basically who I am, what I think politically, and issues where I would stand on the issues as I'm contemplating this this running for office type of thing. I don't know what I would run for. I know 2022 is around the corner right now, and there'll be a House of Representatives seat for, you know, our House of Representatives because it's two-year terms, you know. Uh, not only will I have the, the Delaware one for that, but there will be the one for the Delaware uh, General Assembly as well, representatives. I could... I could decide to throw my hat in a race and, and try to do a state level before looking at possibly doing a, a national level. You know, that I could look at being on the county council. I could look at a, a, a dozen other things probably. But this, this, I feel, is the best way for me to think about it and get my ideas out and get feedback from people just you know like what 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 role do i want the federal government to play you know right here like it's all about how i feel the federal government should play or how the bill of rights and natural rights or taxes you know i got a whole section on health care that i'm working on uh, voting, v- election and campaign reforms. Uh, my, you know, because I have to always be silly and goofy. My coalition for daylight savings permanence. Uh, education reform, criminal justice overhaul, even more. And then I even have a field down here where people can type in their email and type in a message, pretty much asking me for other positions. And uh, I, I threw this up the the other day, and I've just been, I've just been sitting on it. It's just something for you to check out. It's fritzcast.webnode.com slash campaign or just go to fritzcastweb.webnode.com and you can find the campaign drop down. But that's what I'm talking about. When when people are asking me right now, um, well, if you're running, are you running as a libertarian? And, you know, the the answer might very well be, um, might very well be no. Because uh, where I live... It's just not a viability. Where I live, if even if even if I go as a Republican, it'll be an uphill battle, considering how blue this state is and how legacy politics this state is. It's, it's very hard for for Republicans and people who don't have a name in in their in the political game already. It's very hard for for them to break in, and so there's there's just there's a lot of question marks right now. But it just goes back to the title of this episode, you know, is this the way? And I'm willing to admit that uh, I'm, I'm hardline on my principles, but I don't care if it's a libertarian candidate or if it's a Republican candidate or if it's an independent candidate or if it is very, very long shot here, a Democrat candidate. I'm starting to think about politics in a different manner now, you know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, in some cases, I think we have to, depending on the situations and what's going on. So, hopefully that gives you a good idea of where my mind's at right now. So with that being said, 
that's going to do it for me because I'm I'm 40 minutes deep and I said that it probably wouldn't be a longer episode. I got to read more of this book by Kevin Vallier and start drafting up uh, how I want our conversation to go. So, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening and watching and, and doing all the things that you do. If you want to help me out, you, you know the links. It's uh, twitter.com slash fritzqs or you can follow me at fritzqs. Facebook.com slash the fritzcast. Uh, you can catch the website fritzcast.webnode.com. Uh, you can reach out to me on email, fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and the biggest thing that you can do is rating and reviewing the podcast. Whether you're watching it on YouTube right now and you leave some comments, give me a thumbs up. Uh, give it a like on Twitter and a retweet. Same thing on Facebook. Give it a give it a like and uh, give it a share. Uh, smash that share button, whatever you got to do. Uh, that helps the program out greatly. So do reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify things that catch people's eyes um, is those star ratings and those actual leaving a line or two reviews of, of whether or not you like the show and, and what you liked about it and always sharing it with a friend. So that's going to do it for me next week. Kevin Valier, get ready because it's going to happen. Love you guys. And I'll see you guys next week.